Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Randy, the CTO at ImageSource, and we discuss how to get your team bought in during times of transition, the culture challenges that can surface with a global engineering organization, and why you should try to learn something new from every person you work with. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello, hello. Hey, Joel, how are you? Hey, Randy, I am doing good. I'm excited to be talking with you today, man. Hey, well, thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me onto the show. This is uh, this is quite an honor for me. Thank you. Are you in Colorado right now? Yes, sir, I am. Tell me about the weather. <laughs> well, we had a, a bit of a cold snap earlier in this week, and we were down in single digits for a couple of days, but the sun's out, and it's back up in the 50s, I think, today, and the weekend looks great. So typical Colorado weather. I love it. I love it. Yeah. My wife and I were looking to move out to like the Texas area. We actually designed our search based off of multiple different weather maps of weather patterns and humidity. And we saw this nice area. Of course, weather doesn't care about the state lines that we draw, right? We saw this nice area around Texas, Southern Utah, Colorado area, where it was like the weather that we want because We're here in Florida. It's about 92 degrees and it's been that way for about 12 months. It feels like. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's great. Uh, Here we have about 300 days of sunshine. So that's something I really like. And um, I think, you know, my uh, company's based out of, um, out of Washington. So that's a big, that's a big difference. Leaving here 300 days of sunshine going there, almost the opposite, but uh, beautiful out there, you know, just a different type of, of beautiful, I guess. Yeah. Every, every place has its own thing. I, for me, I like the sunshine because I'm from the sunshine state. I just want the uh, less humidity and a little bit cooler. Like I want some seasons, right? Yeah, and yeah. especially as we had, it wasn't as big of a deal with me, but now that I have kids, it's harder to travel with little ones. And so rather than traveling to go get the weather, it's like maybe we relocate our home base to go get the weather. But yeah, this isn't a meteorology podcast though. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, well, good luck with that. That's exciting. Thanks. I'll let you know where we end up. I actually spend a lot of time out in like the Boulder area. And I know you're a little bit south of that. But I was geeking out though with the production team before the show because we saw that you know, earlier on in your career, you got to work on some of the old space shuttle navigation systems and things like that. Could you tell me a little bit about what you were working on? Yeah, sure. So this was back uh, in really an exciting time for the space program. Um, This was after the the shuttle disaster and it was returned to to flight. So there was a huge push uh, back in the late 80s to bring on new aero engineers, new engineers to gear up for the return to flight. So me and 200 and some of my closest uh, new college grads got hired on by Rockwell Space Operations to, um, you know, really fill out the what they needed in terms of, of the resources to make that happen. So we got on um, just about a year before uh, we actually launched 
uh, SDS 26, I believe. And it was just the most fun time ever. Uh, we had just a really young group of engineers, uh, most of us right out of college. Now we did have a lot of senior folks that came over from the previous uh, maintenance contract for the shuttle. Uh, so they were our mentors and they were super cool people. And it was just an amazing group. And after launches, the astronauts would come to Johnson Space Center and there'd be this big party and we could go meet them and talk to them. And, and uh, so that was fantastic. And uh, so we, I worked in the intact abort group. So if something goes wrong, we can return back to the Cape or we can go across the ocean somewhere in Europe or, or Africa. So uh, that was really cool. And Steve Nagel was uh, one of the champions of the shuttle um, abort. Uh, you know, after the disaster, he was one of the leaders in trying to come up with better, safer mechanisms for the for the crew safety. Uh, so he was kind of our hero and we got to talk to him pretty frequently. So that was a yeah, super exciting time. And then how did that did that prepare you at all for transitioning into software? Was it a natural transition or how did that go? You bet. So everything we do or we did back in the, in the day, we did on mainframes, but it was all software. So running simulations on shuttle missions and preparing the, we call them initialization loads. They, you know, so the shuttle flies itself essentially, uh, but it uses a big set of parameters to do that. And so we would, before the launch, we would spend about a year and go through, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of simulations. And our task was just to prepare the, the, the launch software uh, so that it knew where these abort boundaries were and when it was safe to return to the launch site and when they needed to press across the ocean. Uh, so it was just working on computers and it was mainframe. So it was a little different and we programmed in Fortran was our um, uh, simulation language. Uh, but it really got me, I guess, geeking on on the whole concept of, of what you could do with software. And at one point, uh, we brought on a, a data visualization package. And you can imagine back in the late 80s, this was pretty rudimentary. But for the first time, we took some of the output from the simulation and fed it into a 3D model of the shuttle. And we could actually see in 3D what was going on when an, when an engine would fail. And nobody had seen that. We just see the the plots and the charts and stuff like that. So that really got me excited about going, you know, in a little different direction than, than the space program. And um, yeah, so I just uh, started canvassing uh, Colorado uh, with my resume, trying to get a job in, in software development. That's amazing. Yeah, such a such a like large advancements. And because when you were first describing it, my mind automatically was just picturing the 3D illustrations. And then you went on to describe that. Oh, and then at some point we got this new illu illustrative package, right? It's like, oh, that's right. What? Is, and then I was thinking, what on earth were they looking at before they were looking at 3D model? And you said graphs. And I said, whoa, you guys doing all of that work. And, and the visual interaction you get with it is just some plot data. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Roll pitch and yaw and, you know, just trying to make sense of, of what that looks like, you know, translate that into some type of, of reality. So, yeah, seeing that for the first time was that was a kick. And then was was there a number of different software projects you worked on until you got to Image Source? How did you end up at Image Source? Yeah, I did. So I ended up uh, moving to Colorado with GTE Government Systems, uh, working on an artificial intelligence program written in ADA. So it, it was a it was a 
very interesting piece of software. Um, and I, I didn't spend a lot of time there because uh, that was part of uh, internal research and development that we did. And that contract went away. And, and so I moved only a, a year or so after joining that team, but very interesting early AI. And so then I went to a number of different places. I worked at MCI on their video conferencing system. This was back in the day where you used multiple phone lines uh, to do video conferencing uh, and then muxing and unmuxing the, the signals and, and, and whatnot. And then from there, I went to a small company that did content management. We were acquired. That company was acquired. I ended up at Oracle for a while. And then I've been here at ImageSource for the last seven plus years. So uh, oh, nice. pretty exciting. Yeah, it's been it's been a great ride. What's the story of you meeting the executive team at Image Source? Yeah, so back when we were at um, a company called Optica, they were a company here out of Colorado Springs, a small company. We had about 150 people, a great company. We had some really good software. Um, and, you know, back in back in the mid 90s, uh, we were we were kind of leading edge for the Windows platform. So um, I think we really had some good stuff. And we had a number of resellers uh, that sold our products. And so Image Source was one of those companies that resold and implement and deployed basically a systems integrator for our software. And so we got to know them. They ended up becoming our, our best partner. They, they sold the most. They were great to work with. And uh, so our product progressed. And then we got bought by Oracle and we retooled everything. So we had been a Microsoft-based shop and Oracle's all, you know, Java and uh, so we retooled our product and it really just didn't fit with our traditional customer base. And so Image Source decided to go a little different way and build their own stuff. A micro, again, a Microsoft-based product, a little more suited for the SMB space. And so they got it a certain ways down the road. Things were coming together, looking good. And they thought, you know, we we probably need to bring somebody on to help us make that transition from a systems integrator into a, you know, a real software ISV. And, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough transition, right? Uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So trying to to pivot like that, it's 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 hard. So I came on, I helped them with that. And we've been very successful in transforming. We're now I don't know, 99.9% just our stuff. So it's uh, that's been a, a just a really fun, fun transition for us. Looking back on it, why were you successful at that transition? Well, I really think there was a top to bottom desire to do it. Um, it, it wasn't just, you know, the CEO's plan. Um, everybody was bought into it. So changing a culture, it, that's what it requires. It requires everybody to really catch the vision for where you want to go and uh, have people that can communi communicate that vision effectively and really rally the team. And, and our CEO is great, uh, Terry Sutherland. He really did a great job doing that. And when I got on board, I really didn't have to fight it. Uh, it was more about just education and, hey, you know, based on my experience, this works out pretty well if we change this process to, to work this way. So, yeah, it, it was uh, it was just a real good team effort to do it, and uh, we didn't have any uh, dissension. You know, you know, well, we've always done it this way. We're not going to change. So it went pretty smooth, actually. And so after the transition, what's the main problem you solve? What's the product or service behind that solution? Right. So we have an enterprise content management platform. So we help companies. Um, 
evaluate uh, what they do from a business process perspective, and, and it could be anything. And we, we do a lot of state and local government, so permit processing or gun gun permit processing uh, to healthcare, to financial services, to uh, um, high-tech manufacturing, to higher ed. But we work with companies to help them evaluate their current processes and figure out ways to basically transform those into a digital type of process. So it's taking paper and turning that into digital uh, assets, taking their uh, workflow that had been physical, carrying things around or inner office mail and turning those into electronic processes, and then applying layers of um, automation on top of that, intelligent routing for exception handling. Uh, we have analytics, so you want to you know, keep track of what's going on, identify bottlenecks, uh, measure how successful you're being. Uh, so we we provide that kind of a platform and then our services folks, they've got 26 years of experience uh, helping customers make that transition from, you know, the paper and physical world into a more digital uh, type of uh, type of business processes. So when your customers come in or when you approach the market, is it more of like a digital transformation consultant or somebody they're seeing the RPA type tool and they're like, I want that tool. How do you go to market with having such a wide array of, of services? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, and that's a, that's a challenge because you're selling almost a toolkit and, th and that's really hard to, to get a, get a prospective customer to catch that vision. And how do you paint a complete enough picture of what you could do for them to solve their pain? Because, you know, like I said, you know, no, nobody wants a, a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch hole. And, and so- you know, <laughs> I have not heard that. <laughs> yeah, so it, and it's so true. Uh, nobody wants a toolkit. They just want you to solve their business pain. And so, like I said, we've got some folks, because of the history, uh, integrating many different types of software. They didn't just sell my software. They sold Oracle. They sold IBM. They sold, you know, Kofax and some of some of the other uh, products, Liquid Office. Uh, so they had a really broad perspective on what was available technology-wise to solve customers' problems. And so they they would walk in, they would do, we have what's called an ecosystem. You'd be surprised how many customers don't really understand how they do business. And so we help them understand that. And then we look for ways that we can improve upon that. And our services guys at this point, you know, they're experts with our our platform. And so they really can make that transition for them to say, we see you doing this. We can make it look like this. I like that. So, so it's a is digital transformation like a foot in the door these days? Um, it is, especially uh, you know we're, we're all kind of sick of, of talking about COVID, but we've been doing this type of digital transformation for twenty some years, and so we were we were really pretty well positioned uh, when this hit to help customers adapt and change their workforce from you know, in-person and, and big offices to now working from home in, in a safe environment for their data. Yeah, I like, I like that you mentioned the COVID thing because, you know, we get people pitch us all the time, you know, to come on the podcast. We get the infinite <clears throat> email box of pitches. And it seems like for the past six months straight, every pitch is like, COVID's done this. And, and I was like, when I saw your PR team didn't, you, they actually sent over some pretty uh, interesting topics of conversation. So I shout out to them, but uh, other, other pitch people. And uh, one of the things I was talking about the team, I was saying like, I just, I don't want COVID like on the topic list anymore because I'm right. so caring about it. 
right? I know. Yeah. Like think about it, Randy, when you turn on your, your media, like it's, it's just like, it's, it's burnt out. I'm like burnt out on COVID. Yeah, it is. It is personally and professionally, right? It's just, it's pervasive every, every day. You're just something about COVID, but you know, that's, that's the reality. And and it, it was a huge impact to businesses. And so, yeah. And, and who knows what this is going to, to look like six months, 12 months from now. I know. Is that the, my favorite ones? How do you continue to innovate through COVID? <laughs> right. And I said, we should rewrite it and just start replacing COVID with like the 2020 flu season. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, like you the- know, and, and the answer to that, right, is necessity is the mother of invention. So I, I think there's been a lot of, uh, lot of cool innovation because of COVID. There really has. Like to their credit, there is a lot of interesting things that have happened because, you know, everything from the school industry overnight having to go digital, which I, I saw a LinkedIn post of this uh, CTO at a major college. I can't remember what it was right now, but he did this long blog post about two months after COVID about how he literally worked with the entire engineering team at the college to transition, like I think it was 10 or 20,000 students within a couple of weeks from them going to in-person classes to them being 100% online. And uh, I, I put it on the list for like later next year. I was like, I want to talk to that guy about the what actually went down on the battlefield like going through that process. Right. Oh my gosh, how, how much stress that would be trying to to do that you know you you it just has to be done uh there's just no way to continue to function and such an important you know part of our society and with people digitizing their workflows or looking at you know being more strict on cost and also having to work remote did that like uptick your business a little bit did it increase it or it did um so uh, our existing customers, they were all already pretty well positioned in terms of just the technology itself. But we did see, uh, you know, to your your point about the uh, the school system, a number of our customers having to react very quickly now to huge increases in in what they had to do. So government agencies that we work with that now had to facilitate, you know, uh, workers comp and, uh, you know, help with uh, uh, businesses, financial help and and unemployment. And and so we we service a lot of those types of customers uh, in the Pacific Northwest, especially, and they were scrambling. So not really just from a technical perspective, but just how do we handle this increased volume? Um, so that was uh, that was great. Our services guys are well positioned to help them, and so we were able to to make some changes for them and scale them out uh, very quickly. But yeah, we have seen a lot more interest in um, you know technologies that will facilitate these remote remote workforces, and um, very interesting. So you know, as as COVID unfolded, we were we were surprised, I guess, as many many companies were how much of, about their business they really didn't understand. And, uh, and so that was, that was good and bad. Um, but uh, one of the things that was particularly interesting to us is that, uh, you know, I mentioned we have a very broad um, set of customers. Uh, some of them have HIPAA compliance um, 
you know, that they have to meet, the PII, PCI, ITAR. Uh, so a lot of different regulations around the data and the data they process. And, and so in, 19, in 2019, their, their employees came in, they had a very comfortable, safe environment. They didn't have randos walking behind them or people, you know, looking through windows or whatever. Well, now they send all these people home. And how do you how do you still enable your your remote workforce with everything they need, but keep control and and keep your data safe and or keep other people's data safe? So that was we have some great technologies for data loss prevention and and so that was uh, something was a big topic uh, with uh, with our existing customers and new customers. So you've got these different, I guess, for lack of a better term, either products or business units type deal where you have. You know, the, the document imaging, you know, some data privacy, some RPA. So you as you know, the technology leader over there, how are the teams like structured? How do you structure that organization? Is it, is it by product? Is it, do you have cross product teams that it, with certain layers abstracted? I know every, it's like a, the design of the teams is dictated by the business model almost, but I'm just curious what yours looks like. Right. Well, um, so we have a we have a core team we call them, and they're responsible for the the primary platform, and um, we really want to move to microservices, you know, functions as service things like that. That's ultimately where we want to go. We're not there yet. Uh, so our our core is is a bit monolithic, but then we have other teams that build on top of that. So whether they're building like a, a full end user product or they're, they're building a module that um, augments our workflow. Um, we have different teams that will pick up those modules and then, uh, you know, they just add into our, our suite of tools that you can choose from to, uh, to do whatever you need for, for your business. Nice. And do you get to interact uh, like in the sales process or with the, with some existing like customers of yours? Like how much time do you get to spend, you know, with your customers? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the that that is one of the uh, parts of my job I enjoy the most is working directly with our customers. And of course, that's been that's been really a, a bummer for 2020, right, is we don't get that FaceTime. And um, I, I think a lot of our customers are scrambling. So so even getting them on a Zoom and a Zoom uh, conference and stuff like that is, is probably a little more challenging than, than it would normally be. But uh, yeah, we spend a lot of time talking to our customers. And that's one of the other things that drew me to the small back to the small company environment is that we can go out and talk to a customer. We can we can come up with some great ideas to, to solve some some new problems for them. And we can come back and in a couple of months, we can release a new module that bolts right onto our platform and that becomes part of our product going forward. So we're very nimble. And that is exciting when you can talk to a customer, hear some pain, and then you come back to them a, a couple of months later and say, we've got something to solve that pain for you. I like it, right? And you get to know them and you get to understand them. What's some of the trends? What's like the biggest trend you're seeing right now across the customers? Well, uh, aside from just the scrambling, right, the very tactical, how do we, you know, maintain business continuity through these weird situations, we're, we're, uh, we're seeing a lot of analytics, needs for analytics and understanding what's going on in my business. And um, that, that's not really something new, but I, I think, there, I think it's maybe, it's COVID again, but, uh, you know, it's, it's trying to understand what this means now that I've sent all my people home. And, and you know, you hear a lot in the news about, oh, uh, this is going to be permanent for us because we just saw big spikes in productivity. 
Maybe that's true. It's such a, it's a soft metric. And so I'd be very interested to, to understand more about how they're measuring that. Maybe you've got some, some perspectives because you talk to some, some really sharp people, but that's just really hard for me to get my head around. Um, I'm kind of a more in-person person. So I like being in the office. I like, I like the collaboration of being with my team and, and talking things over and sitting on the whiteboard or talking with customers on the whiteboard. Um, so, uh, yeah, so analytics has been, uh, kind of an uptick for us. And then, uh, the process of, of, uh, customer engagement and even employee engagement, uh, now not physical now out, you know, electronic. So we have a, a web form product. And so being able to collect information from new customers, customers, employees, whatnot, through web interfaces, through mobile devices and things like that, um, you know, better than throwing a PDF form or something like that up on your website. So those are probably the two biggest areas that we're seeing that. And uh, to your earlier point, managed services, uh, helping customers uh, scale their system, manage their system, take the burden off of just the mundane managing the care and feeding of my line of business systems. Yeah. And I actually, I have a question that we can cut it if we don't like it, but I'm just curious to know, cause I, it just popped into my head. So I'm curious at, at your level of business, can you give me a quick idea of the, the employee count at ImageSource? Yeah, we're, we're around 100 employees. Okay, so I'm just curious at that stage, which there are going to be more companies than not at that stage, right? Because that's how the market works. When you're involved in the pre-sales process with, with a customer, right? I'm sure you're coming in there for like expert advice. Is it like, how does that work from a, from a sales perspective? Do you close them like a, like a sales close or are you working with another sales executive and you provide information and they close? Do you get involved in the finance of the deal? I'm just curious from a business perspective at your level. Yeah, great question. Um, uh, it's more of the latter. So we have sales executives. Um, they would uh, call, you know, curate and cultivate the the prospect until we get to a point where it makes sense to get in front of them and show them some real technology. And so I do get involved when they're when they're especially when they're complicated uh, or maybe they've got some touch points with you know Salesforce or ERP systems or whatever. And so we'll configure a system up. And you know ours is a platform many toolkit type of functionality. So we'll build out something that will resonate with them. We don't want to have to force them through that mental exercise of, of leaping from that toolkit to how you're going to solve my pain. So we want to show them as much as we can. And so I typically will do that. I often do demos and then I'll, I'll uh, very often meet with the IT group. A lot of times the business, always the IT group, they have questions about security and, and scalability and compliance and things like that. So, uh, yeah, but I don't, I don't get involved in the uh, any pricing, licensing, negotiations, closing, paperwork, things like that, which is nice. Do you think that the experience of being at this level in business has made you a better customer when purchasing? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so when we go into competitive situations and, and me, I've worked at uh, about eight different companies. Uh, one of the things that I, and, and this sometimes our salespeople don't really like this, but I like to show the customer, the prospect, the tools that they would be using and really how easy it is to build what I'm showing them. Um, you take a lot of the other products and they'll come in, they'll have some very, very slick demos and, and you know, nice glossies. 
if you ask them, can you show me what it took to to put together this demo? Uh, that's problematic, and and a lot of their salespeople can't do it. And if they have a, a you know good SE that can come in and help them, it's very very complicated. So, having been on the selling side, when I go to buy something, I'm not I'm not uh, satisfied if you're going to show me your standard marketing demo. Um, I want you to open the open the you know the bonnet. Show me what's under the hood. Uh, show me how you're going to configure these things. Uh, if I've if there's some extensibility capabilities you've got built in, I want to see what those look like. So yeah, that's that's really uh, that's changed my perspective when I go to buy things. Yeah, I I recently we we bought uh, a, a new system, and when my team they wanted to buy it, right? So I said, okay, let's discuss the metrics that are important to the business and how this will help us achieve our goals. They had all of that covered. And then the price, we could do the price. And then there were like four or five technical things that would make or break the deal, right? And so we went into a sales meeting and then the salesperson just started like pitching, you know, because they have to be prepared and, and take, you know, the control because I bet most people don't know. They just sit there and watch the presentation, right? Right. And I was just like, I apologize. Uh, I don't mean to like interrupt you, but I have these four very specific questions. And then they tried to open up the demo version and it like, w they weren't as familiar with the demo version as they were with their own account. So they ended up exiting the demo version, going into their own account and actually answering my questions. It was a 30 minute call and they closed a big deal and it was really great for them, right? Right. But before having, I see, my background is I've built software, like large scale software systems. And so I'd get like one customer and I'd work with them for a year, one to three years. And so I, while I would call myself an entrepreneur then, I didn't ever run a sales team, like a B2B sales team. So I had no experience in that until the past two or three years here. And so now that I've gotten to see how a sales team operates and how everything works, I feel like that's made me a much better customer than I was before. And it gives me sort of like the 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 leeway to know that I'm not being rude that I'm actually helping us all get to the point we want to get to quicker and I and I think that more often than not less experienced people you know which are listening to the show to to get more experience they will be polite and sit there for the half hour with the three questions they have watch the person like not answer anything or hope the whole demo and then at the end they're like out of time and they want to get their three questions answered so I I kind of want to like public service announcement that <laughs> Right. Absolutely. That is a great point. Um, yeah, you should never be embarrassed uh, in a in a demo uh, to ask questions. And, and you know, like they always say, there's no stupid question, right? You don't know the software. You don't you don't know what's what's going on under the hood. That, so it's makes perfect sense to, to ask those those questions. Um, you know, if they can't answer it, you know, then maybe that's fine. They have to go pull in a technical resource. That's that that shouldn't be necessarily a red flag. But whatever answer they come back with you should be a pretty good one. I love it. And I also heard, so I had this uh, great like VP of sales, Jaime, and the one of the meetings I was in with him, he, the meeting was kind of over at like 12 minutes into a half hour meeting, right? Because wow. we got the questions answered, but there was this weird tension in the room that like the meeting should continue for the half hour it's scheduled, right? That law of like the, the task will take the amount of time allotted. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think it was like a Drucker thing, but he, 
exited with this beautiful line, like, okay, we have all of our questions answered. There's 16 minutes left back in your hour or, you know, in your half hour, uh, enjoy that. And we'll talk soon. And I was like, whoa, just watching him, how he exited it, like the call and did that so cleanly was, I don't know. I, I learned more by like just watching people, right. Oh, yeah. Do something. Cause then I can monkey see monkey do it, you know? Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's, um, you know, any, any craft, where, where you've got a real artisan, you know, a salesperson, a, a technologist or whatever. Yeah. You can learn so much just watching people. It's, it's, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I, watching your team, watching your kids. <laughs> yeah, whatever it absolutely. Is. yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, you earlier were alluding to a little bit of uh, like privacy and security. It looks like you do some, some stuff over there. And I was just curious if you have any tips for people that have, you know, made the transition to the work from home uh, on dealing with their security. Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Um, and, you know, it, it spans whatever, you know, network security, access to your line of business systems from over a VPN, things like that, to, uh, you know, what, what are your employees looking at on the screen and who's walking behind them through the kitchen or the home office or whatever. Um, so, you know, there, are, I think there are some pretty cheap things, you know, you can get those little privacy screens on your, on your laptops and things like that. But it, it, and again, it depends on the level of, of um, regulations that you're, you're under, um, you know, HIPAA's, HIPAA's pretty serious stuff and, and they've got a lot of things you can and can't do. And, and so you got to take that very, very serious and make decisions about, do I need a technology that's going to help me protect this information? Um, you know, other, other information, if you're processing customer complaints or something like that, uh, you're probably fine. Uh, so it, it really comes down, I think, to the type of information that you're processing um, or that your remote workers are processing at home in their home office or their kitchen. And, and uh, you know, if you don't know, like you said, I mean, re reach out and get some expert advice from people in the industry that have to be a, a vendor, um, you know, listen to some podcasts. I'm, I'm sure there's some, some great stuff out there about uh, what's prudent for your industry. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and, um, like I said, that was one of the, the revelations that the whole COVID uh, thing um, you know, revealed to, to us and our customers. Wow, yeah, I guess we should be, uh, we should be uh, concerned about that and make sure we're, we're doing, doing what's needed there. Do you have any favorite brands for the privacy screens? I don't. Uh, I actually don't. I, I don't use them. Um, I'm uh, I'm six one, so it's hard for me to get my my laptop out on the on the airplane. But we've got some some uh, one of the sales gals that I travel with. She's she's a sweet petite thing, and and so she works all the time on her computer on the plane. And so she's got this privacy screen. And when we're doing demos with customers, I look over. I can't see a thing on her on her machine. But oh, nice. Yeah, I actually the other day I was, I was talking to someone, and uh, yeah, I was giving them our information, right? And their phone was like just black and, and I was standing right next to him and I, and I was like, what screen is that? And he told me, I wrote it down. I don't, I don't remember right, right now, but um, it's amazing how your eyes will just naturally go to their screen. Like you could right. best intention. It's a, it's like a subconscious automated process that happens when someone's standing next to you. It's the same interface you're familiar with, you know, everything about it. And you just watch them type in your information, maybe for accuracy <laughs> It just kind of happens, and I and I saw it, and I was like, "These privacy screens have gotten so much better over the last decade." 
Oh yeah. I, I, I haven't seen one on the phone, but that's, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Cause people, you're always standing next to people. And so you, earlier you mentioned this, um, language, like an AI related programming language. What was it called? Ada? Oh, Ada. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, actually Lady Ada, Lady Ada, uh, one of the very, very early, maybe the first programming language, I'm not sure, but, uh, it's a bit obscure at this point, but it lended itself well to, um, building, artificial intelligence engines, uh, at least it did. Now there are better to way better tools out there, I'm sure now, but, um, uh, but that was, uh, that was what, w- uh, my team was building, uh, back in the late eighties, early nineties. So what's your perspective on AI today? What's going on there? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And, you know, I, let me caveat this by, I am just an AI student. I am by no means an expert. Uh, it is an enormous topic. Uh, we deal with AI and we have, I've got some great, super smart geeks on my team that that just talk about this stuff day in, day out. Um, but So I mostly talk to our customers about AI because, you know, it's, it's hyped out there right now. Uh, the last 10 years, there's been an explosion uh, in the democratization of the tools that are available to build AI models and execute AI models uh, at scale. So there's a lot of talking about it and customers have questions. Well, how do I use this? And you know, this gets back to kind of our you know, uh, core competency, which is to hear a customer's problem and then figure out a way to use a platform to solve that using technology. I think, so So I got an analogy. So um, many years ago, I like woodworking. I used to watch this show on TV where this guy would make beautiful furniture using ni- 19th century tools, right? So he'd, he'd have these axes and, and hand planes and hand drills and stuff that he was using. And he could crank out the most beautiful piece of furniture. And so I'd get my car, I'd drive down to Home Depot and I'd be looking at these tools and my gosh, they're you know, all sciencey and and engineered and and uh, you know, cut precision cuts and stuff and buy all these tools and take them back. I still couldn't make furniture. Um, you really, even if you have a great tool or set of tools, you still have to have the knowledge to build something. And I think right now that's the big gap. We've got this huge hype. There's been uh, great strides in, in what the, what people are doing with um, artificial intelligence. Customers are salivating for for this, uh, you know, to use this um, to impact their business, but they don't know how. And I, you know, I think that's really going to be the next evolution of AI is figuring out how we 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 take business data and we we really uh, use these tools that have been developed. In, in, in large, you know, industries. There's pockets, you know, pockets of AI that's, that are doing fantastic things right now. But uh, just I just don't think um, we've really got to the point where we can we can really effectively use them in the enterprise. I like that analogy. That's actually the second time I've heard about that guy. I don't know his name. Oh, really? But that's the second reference to this guy. The other person was like, a comedian or something I heard talk about it on another show. And he was like, yeah, just wake up, eat lunch and watch this guy make furniture. (laughs) He (laughs) described it just like you did. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. It's like, it's the craftsman, right? You, any, anybody who is a craftsman at what they do, it's, it's fun to watch them. Yeah. Passionate people who are in the zone doing what they, there's something very attractive about that. And you, you sort of want to help them and help push them along and give them opportunity yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. What was your first craft that you mastered that you got really excited about? 
Ah, let's see. Uh, probably music. So I played Ooh. guitar since I was uh, 10. I've uh, been in and out of rock bands and, and uh, stuff most of my life. Um, not so much lately, but uh, yeah, it's, a, it's been a real, uh, really a lifelong hobby for me. And, and that's, uh, yeah, it's been great. Oh, amazing. Yeah, we have, we're big music fans over here. Our producers, uh, so Jake, like whenever he's on his call, he's got his like, you know, 18 stack amps behind him. And <laughs> for his like, he, I think he's more into like metal type stuff. And then uh, our associate producer, the way we actually found him, uh, he submitted like for an internship and he was doing these live sessions like out of his house. He was like recording them and doing the audio engineering on them. And he right. just put up the YouTube videos on his portfolio. And it was so cool because you could see someone's work and you could understand, you know, that the, the quality of it. And so, yeah, big, big music people. I've played guitar for about seven years now. Uh, I played saxophone a lot in, in like middle through high school band. So that was yeah. like my first introduction and then uh, a little bit of piano. But yeah, I found that the, the music can allow me to get into uh, a flow state. Like I can get into a flow state programming, writing code, doing all sorts of things from writing. But for some reason, you know, writing, I always kind of connect to work right? Programming, mm. I connect to work, but the music is a nice outlet. It's a way for me to get into a flow, relaxed state where it just feels like the universe is just kind of going through me, right? Yeah. And uh, once you have those skills, you can just kind of sit down and play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. It's a, it's a great outlet anytime. And and I, I think it actually taught me something too. In, in my teens, um, I had different bands that I, I was in. Some were what we call cover bands. I just play, you know, other people's music. Some were original bands. And I worked with some really talented musicians. Um, and then, you know, they would, we would have a session, they'd, they'd go home and I, I'd try some of my own stuff. And what I realized was I'm not all that creative on my own and I need a muse. And so I need somebody to work with, but once I have somebody to work with, man, we just, we just do some really good stuff. And, so I, having that knowledge about myself when I, you know, got into software, I just try not to do that stuff by myself. It's, it's always more fun and much more productive, at least for me, to grab somebody and, and sit on a whiteboard and, you know, hash through stuff. I, I just seem to come up with better stuff together. Oh, always. When, I mean, the that's the one thing that, like, there's great energy when we do Zoom calls and things like this, but... The one thing I noticed is that there is a slight difference because when you're in person, you can leave like almost tingling with the energy from the conversation and it's, it's here and it's present and there's great energy, but there's just this, this physical thing that happens when you're in the same room with somebody. And when people, when technology can figure out how to replicate that at a distance, then uh, that'll be a huge leap for us. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. So, um, you know, some of the things that COVID has imposed upon us personally and professionally, I, yeah, I haven't had really a problem with because, you know, I, I'm more introverted. But, man, uh, I miss the conferences. I miss going and geeking out with a thousand of uh, my fellow developers, you know, whether it's Gardner or Microsoft or Open World or whatever it is. I really miss that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when we can all get back together and, and get and geek out on on new technology me too and that might be you know a subtle change to how we work we might d collaborate digitally and work 
sort of in our own environments. And then that there'll just be more conferences and maybe some even new, unique ways that you get back together, you know, and, yeah. and come together and do community. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Everything changes. I, I love it. So I'm, I'm always curious to know, like, what is the best leadership advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh. Let's see. Um, leadership advice. Well, I don't, I don't know if I have a, a clever uh, uh, statement or phrase. I just, uh, I've had, uh, I've had really good bosses and, you know, I've had bosses that weren't quite as good. I've never really had a bad boss, uh, which maybe that's, maybe that's fairly amazing. But so I, I've just been able to learn different things from every single boss I've had. And, and so maybe, maybe that's it. I, I mean, you can learn from, from anybody, I think. And being open to that and, you know, honesty, integrity, you know, kind of the standard staples of, of being a good leader. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think uh, open door policies, uh, one of the CEOs at uh, one of my former companies, he had an open door policy. He, he actually didn't even have an office on his, didn't have a, de- a door on his office um, because he believed so much in, in uh, open door. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have like a magic silver bullet. No. What are some of the things that you're learning right now as a leader? Well, I, so, so I have offshore teams and um, I think the cultural barrier is something that you, you have to understand and it's different for each of the cultures. So um you know, now, especially uh, with uh, remote workforces, I, I'm getting a lot more spam. You probably are too. Uh, hey, we've got great teams in, pick a country in the world, right? And um, I'm getting more and more of those. And so I, I think every country that you're going to work with is going to have a different set of pros and cons. And um, you, you really have to adapt to that. So I'm working with the team in India right now. Um, my core team is in Vietnam. And I'm I'm really refreshing uh, my my skills, I guess, at you know understanding how to most effectively work with different cultures. So that's that's been a pretty big deal the last few months. And then, are, is that like something you're sharing and discussing with your direct reports? Um, yes, um, actually, sharing with my boss and some of my my peers and. Um, Yes, to to an extent, my direct my direct reports, but uh, mostly just uh, getting getting advice from other other people, and I've you know got a lot of colleagues that have remote teams, uh, talking to them about what works best for them, and and uh, and again, if if I'm I'm finding if they if they don't have a team in India or they don't have a team in in South America, uh, then you know the advice that they give you might be helpful, but maybe not. Yeah, it's 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 interesting topic of conversation. Like when you start working with outsourced development teams, how do you transfer or do you transfer the culture? Like how how do you do culture when you haven't met, I guess, and you have different I, I'm just using the word culture too much. <laughs> you have different traditions and you know, social dynamics, right? There's a better word. And so yeah. that sounds like an area where you just have to do it and get the experience and make the mistakes. 
I think so. And I think that's going to be, uh, maybe, maybe we'll see more podcasts, more, more, uh, people talking about how they've been successful leading teams in different areas of the world. But, you know, I think that's going to be a, a topic where we're going to see more activity around. Yeah. So what's on your mind lately? Other than that, you got the outsourcing development. I saw that you guys have had like 15 X revenue growth. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, we've done we've done really good, and and you know part of that is that transition that I mentioned, uh, moving from you know selling other people's products to building our own and and selling selling our own. Um, so I think right now we have a very broad uh, platform, um, and we've built over the last just a couple of years um, some really great. Mm, I I call them kind of vertical. Uh, solutions on top of that platform. One of them we, we, we've even patented. And I think that's probably going to be a focus going forward is to work closely with customers uh, to see if there are opportunities for us to build out solutions that we can then replicate to other customers, um, you know, and uh, based on our, our core competency, our core plot platform. So we're, we're pretty excited about it. And we've got several things in the works right now that are they're, they're pretty cool. Have you done any divestiture, spin outs or acquisitions there? Uh, no, no, not yet. Uh, but uh, absolutely. Well, I take that back. We did an IP, uh, IP acquisition, a small one, uh, but um, not, not like a, a company acquisition. But absolutely, I've been through several acquisitions um, and I think that's a great way to bring on uh, a whole new set of talent, whole new set of perspectives, uh, customers. And yeah, that's a, that's a good way to, to do it if you can. Yeah, I saw that you had a little bit of uh, experience with the M&A at Oracle, like some of the due diligence M&A process at Oracle. Yeah, yeah. So we brought on, uh, we were acquired and then immediately they they came to us and they said, okay, hypothetically speaking, if you could buy another software company that would complement what you just brought to Oracle, what would that be? So yeah, we did a number of acquisitions the first couple of years that we were there. Um, I kind of enjoyed some of that and so was put on a couple of uh, other acquisitions as a due diligence lead uh, you know just taking a look at the technology they were thinking about buying and making sure it would fit and align with uh, you know what Oracle wanted to do what what's the what's the most important part that you've learned of the M&A process that you've been a part of oh well um, so so there are scans that that we would run against the prospective um, company's software. And it was always surprising what those scans would reveal. And so those things would identify, you know, open source uh, libraries, code snippets, um, other commercial products, things like that. And we would very often find things that the I, I honestly believe the company didn't even know they had. And, you know, you've been in development, right? And, and, and it's what happens. You know, you, you need to do something. You run out. You do a quick search. Oh, I found this really cool little library on GitHub. You know, oh, it's MIT. That's great. I'll grab it. And I'll dump it in. And, you know, boom, it's in the build. Um, without really thinking about, oh, I guess we probably should document that. And then, you know, that needs to be disclosed. And uh, they're going to find that, you know, when they do a code scan. And so that was really an interesting part of it. Um, and we spent the majority of our time, I think, in due diligence talking about 
what we found in the scans, what they had in their software that they may or may not have known about, and whether or not you know components need to be remediated because of you know a copy left or or um, you know uh, licensing that uh, you know Oracle didn't didn't really uh, care for. Excellent. This is great, man. I I'm I've got like one more one more question to wrap up here. I'm curious, what's the what's the stated like long-term mission at Image Source? Well, I I think our goal is to um, service our customers um, the best we can. Um, you know, everybody says, "Oh, we've got great service." And um, when I came on board at Image Source, uh, you know, I asked similar questions during the interview process. I said, "Well, you know, what do you what do you guys think your your strength is? Is it your technology, your people, whatever?" And they said, "We we really think it's our customer service." And okay, yeah. So I get on board, and they weren't kidding. Um, you know, from the top down, um, Image Source, I believe. Uh, puts more effort, more skin in the game when it comes to customer success. We've, you know, when we've been upside down on a couple deals and, you know, our CEO and our CIO, they're just like, we need to make it happen. We need to make this customer successful and this is going to hurt, but it needs to be done. And so I, I think that's, and and to me, that's very important to have that kind of, uh, of approach to business. So whatever we do technology wise, that's fine. I think it just, you know, if we can do it and service our customers and we've got fantastic customer satisfaction ratings, um, you know, that that's the kind of place I want to work. Yeah, me too. You want to work with people that have similar values and want to come through for the customer and deliver high quality. Absolutely. I love it. Randy, we did it, my friend. We made a podcast. How do you feel? <laughs> it was great. Great. Thank you so much. Um, I, you know, to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm more of a audible book person you know yeah. I, I i travel to seattle a lot or used to uh so i do a you know a business book every trip and so i you know i do a book a month or more and i so i, do, I don't do a lot of podcasts and so when this came up and i was like yeah that sounds pretty cool yeah let's do that and then i go out and i look and i'm like oh my goodness you had the the cto of of google like a couple of weeks ago uh, marcus east and i yeah, said he's awesome yeah. oh he's awesome brilliant guy and just so so likable right i mean i'd, I'd love to just sit down and, and pick his brain for an hour but uh, I, honestly i was intimidated um you know because um yeah I've, I've had some kind of interesting jobs but man you've, you've had some really great people and and your shows are fantastic and they're just they're really really engaging i really like them so oh uh, i appreciate you got another that. big fan man Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I just try to like, like we just try to like focus. It's just two people, like the conversations I would be having at lunch. Um, and it's hard too, when it, when it gets bigger, cause then, you know, some people actually like won't come on cause they're nervous. And I'm like, don't think about it. Just, it's going to be you and me. We're just going to hang out. And we're just going to talk for a little bit and we're going to see right. where it goes and there's nothing too rigid. And the goal is we're coming from a genuine place because we want to help you know the next lead, the next generation of these technology leaders who are listening to to get them the best habits that they can grow in their careers and prosper and do well and and then they can pay it forward to the next generation all we're just doing is just talking about our experience and hanging out right it's 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 so great and such good value i mean the, i've listened to about half a dozen of your podcasts now and i'm, I'm going to keep listening they're really really good easy to listen to too I, I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity to get to come on your show and chat with you. Awesome. Thank, thanks, Randy. We'll talk soon. Okay, Joel. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.